Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning I want to be preaching the final part of the series that I've been on or the train of thought that I've been on concerning the transformation of the human will, the transformation of our will um, from being self-centered and knowing and getting what we want to allowing our will to be transformed to take on the will of God. And this morning, perhaps I'm, I, I want to share my heart with you concerning things that have been rolling around my mind and rolling around my heart all week more than, than give you a a point-for-point point kind of sermon or teaching today. Uh, let me just give you a recap so that we, we continue to build on the same foundation. We're coming from the same place. When we talk about the transformation on the human will, the first time I spoke, we spoke about the difference between submission and transformation. Submission to somebody else's will is doing what they say, but remaining unchanged inside. The transformation is to change the way I think or the way I feel about a certain thing to align those thoughts and feelings with the way somebody else thinks and feels. We spoke about denying our own will is the beginning to embracing God's will or being having our will transformed. It needs to be denied. And that this happens through a spirit of meekness and teachability. We don't think we know everything, but we are willing, willing to be changed, willing to adapt to the word of God and as he speaks to us. And the principle that we, we looked at in week one, which I thought was, was really powerful, was that God gives us choice to choose how we will live our lives. But really, he gives us choice to, to choose what, whose will we will submit to. Um, and the principle being this, that our will alone possesses no spiritual power, but it determines what spiritual power we will release in our lives through submission to it. And that once that decision is made, transformation begins. Either we will transform to become more like the father of love, or we will transform to become more like the father of lies, who is self-centered and prideful, wanting his own way. Those are the, that's the binary choice we get to make every day as we go through our lives. From there, we looked at last week, we looked at the story of Jesus when he met the Samaritan woman. And you remember the story, he was, he was sitting there by the well, waiting for his disciples who had sent off into the near town in Samaria to go and buy some food. They came back. He's finishing up a conversation he's had with the Samaritan woman, and he gives them the phrase which says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Uh, and, and so his disciples came back and said, you must be hungry. Here, eat. And he says, I'm not hungry anymore. My will is to do, my food is to do the will of, of, of him who sent me. And we unpack that a little bit. I won't go into all the details. But the two things that really stood out from last week's message is, first of all, the joy and delight that is discovered by those who win souls. Jesus was nourished. He was refreshed through sharing the gospel and winning this woman to the Lord, seeing her come to faith in who he was. And also that that not only is that work a joyous work, but it is the work that Jesus has called every one of us into. He's commissioned us into this work of restoration, restoring not only our hearts to God, but restoring the hearts of those around us and the principles and the, uh, the systems of this world too the kingdom of God. We closed out last week praying and asking God to drive us out of our comfort zones, uh, the comfort zones of our own salvation, our own satisfaction in being saved into the harvest fields of the world. This idea that 
the love that we now enjoy needs to to go beyond just ourselves we're going to end in a very similar place today but today what i want to start with as we talk about the transformation of the will being willing to change being willing to adapt being willing to abandon my own heart i realized that that this is impossible and i can't do this without a deep sense of trust in who god is and what he has said so i want to start just unpack some thoughts that i've been having concerning trust this idea of trust trusting deeply depending deeply wholeheartedly upon the lord trust and faith go hand in hand we understand that and although they are similar they're not the same you can't however have one without the other you can't have faith in god if you do not trust him and you 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 cannot trust god if you do not have faith in him but i believe that trust is essential for the transformation of the will how can i change the way i think and feel to line up with somebody that i do not trust you know i think about me and god and, and how that's worked itself out but another place where that's really worked itself out in a couple of places in my life is in my relationship with pastor andreas early on especially i i understood that he loved me that he wanted the best for me and so i had trust in him so when he began to to tinker with my will there was a willingness to yield not because i understood everything but because i understood that he he wanted the best for me even though often that was painful another place is in my marriage you know when when husband and wife come together you there's they become one flesh that means some of my will has got to give way uh I've, I've often shared my testimony about i thought when i came into marriage that i was this wonderfully patient gracious person and that i would naturally love serving my wife and laying my life down for her i saw my father doing it and i thought this is just natural thing it happens automatically when you get married what an awakening i realized just how selfish i still was i realized how set in my ways i had become and how much i needed to adapt and to change and I'm sure my wife can say the same thing. And so the point is that in a relationship of trust, change is possible. Adaptation is possible to think and to embrace another worldview, another way of, 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 of feeling about things. Many of you will obviously be familiar with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Those are powerful words. In other words, I can't trust the way I think and I can't trust the way I feel if I'm going to trust in God. That's a really powerful revelation to have. It's liberating. But he goes on to say, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You know, trust in God is born out of intimacy with God. my journey and there's many areas where my trust in god is strong uh, through conversations that i've had with him through revelations i've had with him but there's not an area of trust in my life that doesn't from time to time get challenged that sometimes i even through considering others so let me give you an example provision could be one of them you know god god and i made a deal many years ago if you like i say that lightly of course that you know i said to him i'll take care of, of of what you want me to take care of if you take care of my family 
And he said, deal. I said, deal. All right. Actually, he said it. He said, Michael, you take care of the, my work of what I've called you to do, and I will take care of your family. I thought that was a pretty good deal. So I accepted. Now, sometimes when I see things going on around me or when unexpected things happen, the temptation is to take that responsibility upon myself. You know, where are we going to be in 20 years? Are we saving enough? And are we, are we, what, all these kinds of things come up. And these are all questions relating to provision. And in those moments, my faith, my trust is tested. Do I really trust that God will come through? If I take care of what he wants me to do, do I really trust? And I want to say to you that that is a position I need to keep coming back to. And whatever your calling is, whatever God has spoken to you, you will find that that will be challenged again and again and again. You will be tempted to be drawn out and to consider other ways to try and make it happen for yourself. Maybe you feel God is taking too long. Maybe you feel God's, you know, forgotten. Well, God doesn't forget. And God's timing is perfect. I've come to learn that. And so my trust in that, as I grow in it, grows stronger and stronger and stronger. But it always happens in the context of intimacy. You see, those who don't know God struggle to trust him completely. How can you trust someone completely that you do not know? But those who truly know God have learned that, it, that the essence of trust and faith is only to trust him completely even when things don't make sense. You know, I look at the Bible and some of the stories, and I think of some of the examples that came to mind as I was pondering on this, things that God told people to do that just made no sense. Moses sent, God sent Moses to go and confront Pharaoh. Why Moses? The guy was dithering, and he was, he was, he was stuttering, and he, he didn't want to even go. Why him? It makes no sense. And to go and speak to Pharaoh, who wasn't a very fair O. And, and, you know, he would a hard heart. He was going to say no, but he sent him anyways. It makes no sense. What about Joshua and Israel walking around the walls of, of Jericho? Yeah, that makes sense. How? How, God? How? Or the widow with Elijah in her last meal. We're going to eat our last little cake and die. And he says, nah, make one for me first. Or the widow with Elisha and the oil. And he says, just bring your little, go fetch a whole bunch of big, big, big jars. And you're going to fill them from your tiny little bit that you got left over just enough to make. How does that make any sense? It makes no, there's no, there's no logic, human logic or wisdom in it. Catching fish to pay your taxes. I mean, you think of Peter, he's a fisherman all his life. He comes back, says, there's no fish. We caught nothing today. Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. There's not a huge difference in space here. Really? Really? That makes no sense. But yet, because he trusted Jesus, he did what Jesus said and almost sunk his boat. There were so many fish. These, these things come up again and again. Even, I think, later on with Peter, with Cornelius. Cornelius was, was not a Jew. He didn't fit into Peter's mindset or frame as even eligible for the gospel, this good news of Jesus. And, and Jesus had to, God had to give him a vision. He had to speak to him and work with him to change his mind, to change his will, so that he would be willing to go and speak to Cornelius and see the gospel break out, not just to the Jews, and, but for the Gentiles as well. Amazing stories if you read through scripture again and again and again. But the one that really, I think, hits me the most, the one that really is most significant to me is Abraham. He's the father of our faith. I'm going to read you some, a couple of portions of scripture from the book of Genesis. First one's going to be Genesis 12. 
If you want to follow with me, you're welcome. I'm reading these from the New King James. Genesis 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 4. And as I said, this is about Abraham. At this stage, Genesis 12, still called Abram. And God's talking to him and he says, get out of your country from your family. In other words, your, your support system, everything that is familiar to you, every, yeah, your, 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 your security, get out from that, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Doesn't even tell him what land. Doesn't tell him where you're going, where he's going. I will make you a great nation, God says. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why God? Where to God? How God? With who God? All these questions. I'm sure you can relate to them. Sometimes things happen and we have got more questions than we've got answers. We have a sense that we know what God wants us to do, but no real clarity along the way. But look at Abraham, verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75. What a time to pack up and go, right? 75, most people are trying to settle down. I don't want, any new, I don't want big change now. I don't, I, I'm settled. I'm established. I've got my family around me. What more could I want? Well, God says, I want you to leave all of that behind. And Abraham goes. Abraham trusts God implicitly. And you can read through the whole story, but I see it again in Genesis 22. So Genesis 22, you can turn there. In the meantime, we're reading verses 1 to 5. Abraham's had his life now. He's, he's been tested. A lot of time has gone by since that promise was made. Uh, doubts, trying to make it happen. We know what happened with, with Ishmael. But eventually God comes through. Uh, Isaac is born. And Isaac is now lived, I think he's probably about 23, 28 years old. I forget the exact figure, but he's in, he's in his mid-20s, more or less, still a young, strapping man. And God speaks to Abraham again in Genesis 22. And he says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Those words to me are, are striking. Very important. Because it's not wrong that Abraham loved his son. It's right. But God was, he was the most precious thing in his life. And God's saying to him, he carries on and says, take that most precious thing, that son that you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham thought about it. And he questioned God and he molded over in his mind and he thought, could it be? And how is this going to? No, he didn't do any of those things. But ever says in verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So we see preparation being made there. Verse 4 says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And look at these words that he says. And we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Did Abraham know something that we, you know, that we don't have insight into? Abraham went with the sole purpose of offering up his son to, to slaughter him on the uh, to make an offering of him on the altar 
And he see, but yet he says to the people, we will come back. There is something in that that shows me the depth of Abraham's trust and Abraham's faith in God's promise, because the promise was in his seed. God's promise was in Isaac. And Isaac himself was not the fulfillment of the promise, because Isaac himself was not as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. God, Abraham knew that for God to be faithful to his promise and that this was the son of promise, that either he was going to be sparing him or he'd be raising him from the dead. But Abraham trusted him to the point where he was willing to sacrifice his son on the altar. And of course, we know Genesis 22, 12, God steps in and as he's about to plunge the knife into his son, God says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything with, to him. For I know, I, I, now, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. That word have not, that word have not withheld speaks about the fullness of what it means to have our will transformed. Think about that. To have our way is not necessarily to, especially with God or in an argument or anything, is it's to hold on to an opinion. It's to hold on to something that is precious to us or that is dear to us. But God is saying to Abraham here that you have not withheld that which was most precious to you. Therefore, I will bless you. And he does. He, he speaks wonderful, wonderful words over him again. You see, deep trust, deep assurance in God withholds nothing from him. It withholds no earthly possession. It, would, it withholds no, uh, no, it, it, no task. It, it doesn't hold on to its own thoughts, ideas, and hold them tightly. But it is willing not to withhold anything from God that he asks of us. Hebrews speaks of the same event we've been talking about. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, and it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding, listen to this, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That word concluding, Abraham, deep in his heart, came to a conclusion, a realization. He set his heart in a place of such deep dependence on God that if God was asking him to do this, he concluded, well, God knows, God knows what he's doing. I trust him to this point that if he wants me to do this, he's got, a, he's got another plan. He's going to raise him from the dead. He's going to do something here because he trusted the Lord more than he trusted in his own reasoning. Our own reasoning focuses so often, far too often, on the cost, on what it is that we may lose, whether it's resources or relationships or face or reputation. But the heart that truly trusts in God doesn't consider those things. It considers only what the heart of the Father wants. Trust releases God to be who he is and do what he desires in and through our lives, folks, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes God just wants to do something miraculous in and through you for his own glory. I think of Gideon and the armies. He defeated, I don't know how many thousands of soldiers with just 300 men. You know, we spoke already about walking around the walls of Jericho. It makes no sense. But in it, God wanted to glorify himself. And he wanted to show his love and his faithfulness and his power 
to his people. Hebrews 11, the beginning of the same chapter, says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. What does it mean that he is? That he exists? Well, yes, that he exists, but not just that he exists, that he exists as he says he exists. That God is faithful to everything he says. He is who he says he is. If we're going to come to God and put our trust in him, we must believe that he is who he says he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is clear that obedience in the Bible, Old and New Testament, are not determined or is not determined by whether or not we understand the instructions God gives to us. Obedience to God is determined by whether or not we trust him. Faith is about trust. It's not about understanding. It's about a knowing that comes deep inside that we know as fact, even though it defies human logic. That is deep faith. That is the true stuff. The stuff that relies on understanding is shallow, very shallow. But when our hearts have been truly gripped by the person of who God is, by the faithfulness of, of who he is, by the greatness of his love, we are able to trust him beyond our own understanding because God is beyond our own understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I, I quote the scripture often. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Or nor, nor your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. So God says, look, I'm in a league of my own. If you're trying to understand me, if you're trying to worship me with your understanding, you will fall short. Your understanding isn't able to grasp who I am and what I'm able to do. But I'm asking you as a result of our relationship to trust me anyways. Why? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11, once again, another, another word of encouragement from the Lord. For I know the thoughts I have toward you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace, not of evil. Thoughts to do you good and to give you a future and a hope. You know, as I was preparing and running through these thoughts throughout the week, speaking, thinking primarily about this will issue. All my reasoning was drowned up in, in one single realization that put the entire principle into clear perspective. And it's an incredible revelation. Would you like me to share it with you? Here's the revelation. God loves you. God loves you. Man, God loves you. God is crazy about you. You know, I think if we just focus on the fact that God wants to change me, we forget that the reason is because he loves us. He wants to bring us into the fullness of everything that he is and everything that Jesus died to bring us into. Folks, the love of the Father is the most powerful force in the universe. There is nothing more powerful than love. The Bible says love conquers all. It wins every time. Love always wins. And what God asks you and I to do is simply to open up our hearts to it and allow that love to embrace us and transform us. It's not that we have to lay hold of it. We have to allow it to lay hold of us. That is where the power of God's love works. That is how transformation happens. It positions us in a place of profound trust 
which is, as I said, the essence of faith. Because faith can't work apart from trust, and trust does not exist apart from love. You see, I can't believe God for the promises he's made if I do not trust him. But I also cannot trust him unless I know and I'm fully convinced that God loves me completely as I am. I remember years ago, my early 20s, that revelation set me free from a, a double life, from trying to earn favor with God in certain settings and trying to earn favor with men in other settings. The revelation that God loved me in both set me free. He loved me as I am, warts and all. You see, it is the discovery, the deep revelation of God's love that is the catalyst to the transformation of the human will. I believe as powerful as the human will is, it is no match for the love of God. As powerful as I've built up this, how stubborn. And remember the first week we went on about how stubborn and ostentatious the will of man is that it goes after and pursues what it desires, even at all costs. And how when that is aimed at God, that's a really good thing. But you know what? Even the will of man is no power for the love of God. For when the love of God shines, man is powerless. Think of Paul. Paul, this devout Pharisee, set hellbent on persecuting the church and on killing everyone who was of the way, who followed the teachings of Jesus. He had an encounter that changed his hard, callous heart. That changed it so completely that in the end he laid down his life for it. You see, there's a difference, folks, about between being the object of God's love and being transformed by God's love. Many of us get stuck in being the object of God's love. And we think almost that God exists to love us. And we, we enjoy the love. We, we enjoy what we receive. We, we're so grateful for our salvation. And it's wonderful. We are the objects of God's love. That is so true. But more than that, God calls us not just to be the objects of his love, but to open our hearts to the point and to embrace his love to the point where his love changes and transforms us. We go beyond just being loved by Jesus, by embracing the love of God. You know, I want you to consider the lives of the apostles with me. All but one were, were died, died as martyrs. The only one who didn't die uh, as a martyr was John. But that's not for lack of trying. The man was boiled in oil twice. I mean, he was crispy by the time he was old. He, everybody else was slaughtered, was, was martyred for their faith. Let me ask you this. Did God not love them? Did God abandon them? No, of course he loved them. He loved them deeply. He loved them dearly. He'd walked with them for so many years. Let me ask you this. Was it God's will that they died that way? I, as far as I'm concerned, probably not. I think God's will would have been that wherever they went, wherever they ministered, people gladly and wholeheartedly received the word, believed in Jesus, and were, you know, received life. I don't think God willed that they died. But the fact that I'm that I'm coming to is that it's not just that these men love God. Their lives were so transformed by God's love to the point where they themselves resembled it. What do I mean they resembled it? They were so gripped by the love of Christ that gave itself completely even unto death that they willingly did the same. Do you see that? The love of God was working so powerfully in Christ that he came from heaven to earth and gave himself up as a sacrifice for you and for me and for the world around us, for every soul in the world.
The disciples not only received that love, they, they captured it. That, that love captured their hearts to the points where they did the same. They loved like Jesus loved. They gave up their lives. Paul says things like, if I am poured out as a drink offering for your faith, I am glad. Because I don't exist for myself. I'm not just the object of God's love. But that love has so captured me that I love you the way that God loves me. I love you and I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I come for you. Holding nothing back. Withholding nothing. Paul says all these other things that I used to count as precious, all these other things that were dear to me, when I got struck by the love of God, they evaporated into meaninglessness. These things we revere and we, we strive for and the world goes after, compared to the love of God, they're nothing. That's what the transformed will looks like. Jesus says in John 10, 17 to 18, final scripture, he says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Folks, love for God will lead us to a monastery, will lead us to a place where we can express worship and express love to God, all of which are good things, all of which are pure. They, they would send us into a pursuit of knowing him better. That's the, our love for God. That's what it'll do. But when our hearts are gripped by the love of God, we're sent not to a monastery, but we're sent to our neighbor. We're sent to those who are hurting. We're sent to those who need. We're sent to those. And when I say those in need, we have this idea probably because of our setting, we're talking about the poor and the downhearted folks. Everyone who doesn't have Jesus is somebody who's in need. Everyone who doesn't know Jesus is in need of eternal life. They're in need of salvation. They're in need of a savior, whether they know it or not, whether they realize it or not. The love of God, love for God makes me reach out to him and want to have more of him. That's good. But the, when that love, when I have captured the love of God, I am sent out to my neighbors. I am compelled by that love to lay down my life, withholding nothing for their benefit, for that they may come to know the truth of Jesus Christ, that they may escape the wrath of God and of, and of hell and exist in eternity with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. It's the transformation of the will. It begins with denying my own. And, and when that comes to maturity, I've embraced God's love. Sharing the gospel, we spoke about it last week, folks. It, it, it is the enter. It, it is the evidence of, an in, of a living encounter with God's love. It is the evidence of a revelation of the greatness of God's love. God loves you, folks. God loves you, and he wants you. He wants intimate relationship with you. And he wants you to experience the fullness of his love. He wants you to experience the fullness of his power working in your life, but also working through your life. Why have I taken three weeks to speak on, on, on the transformation of the human will? Well, this is why. Because God can't do it without your cooperation. He can't do it on your agenda and on your timetable. He can't do it if you're already satisfied and he can't do it if you don't want it. 
That's as simple as it is. You see, the degree to which my heart is gripped by the love of God can be seen in the level of trust I am willing to place in him by abandoning my life for his cause, for his love, for his purposes. This is the call of every Christian. This is the privilege of every believer. To understand that, as we so well know, that God so loved the world that he gave, his only begotten son, that Jesus himself held nothing back but gave himself completely based on a realization of God's love that led to profound trust that even if I lose my life, my life is caught up in him. That enables me to withhold nothing from God. You see, without the love, this is a heavy message. Without the love, this is uh, hard to do and it's costly. But when we've captured that God loves me, he wants nothing but the best for me. He has an eternal picture of my life, not just this temporal little bit of time that I'm going to spend here on earth. And folks, my prayer for you today is that the realization of the greatness of God's love would flood your heart and mind. That is the essence of true transformation. How do I transform my will? Allow the love of God to be cultivated in your heart. How do I do that? Well, I have to get in the word. I have to spend time with him. I have to do what it says. But all of that comes from a deep place of trust. And I want to ask you this question. Do you trust and do you believe that God really loves you the way he says he does? Do you really? Think about how you spend your time. Think about how you spend your days. Think about the relationships you have, how you invest your spare time. Uh, think about how you manage your finances. Think about how you manage your relationships. Think about your job, not just what you do, but the way in which you do it and the way you treat the staff and the people around you. Do you really trust that God has placed you where he wants you and that he wants to do a beautiful work in your life and through your life? And if you do really trust him, are you willing to withhold nothing from him? Are you willing to make bold prayers like we prayed last week, say, God, Drive me out of my comfort zone that I may be a witness for you. I withhold no reputation. I withhold nothing from you. Lead me out, Father God, by your love. Show me who you want to bless. Show me what it is you'd like me to do today. What act of obedience. Even if I don't understand it, even if it makes no sense to me, Father God, speak to me. Because I trust you. And I know you have a wonderful plan in my, for my life. To bless me. To increase me. Not just me, but your kingdom too. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I want to thank you that as we've, we've heard these words this morning. Thank you that your spirit is working in our hearts. Thank you that as we question our own dependence, as we question, Lord God, the places from which we derive our security, whether it's family members, whether it's money in the bank, whether it's our job or our, our home. Lord, as we question these things, I want to pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts to bring us to a place of deep trust, such deep trust in you that our dependence lies nowhere else, that our expectation lies nowhere else. But God, really, as, as we're talking about the transformation of our own wills here, Lord God, I want to pray for a revelation knowledge to flow concerning your love into the hearts of your people.
I pray the prayer, Lord Jesus, that you led Paul to pray over the church in Ephesus, that that prayer that touched and changed my heart all those years ago, Lord God. I pray that you would grant our spiritual family, according to the riches of your glory, Lord, to be strengthened with might through your spirit in their inner man, Father God. I pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and length and depth and height, that they would know the love of God which passes knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, a revelation of your love is what fills us with your fullness. They go together. They go hand in hand. And today I thank you, Lord, for your generosity. I thank you, Lord, that you have withheld nothing from us, not even your only begotten son. And likewise, Lord, I want to thank you for every promise and privilege we receive through that gift. But even more than that, Lord God, may we not be content to sit on that which may, we may receive and gain through our salvation. But God, I pray that your love would so grip our hearts. Lead us beyond just loving you, Father, Lord God, to the place where your love has, has gripped our hearts and where we are so transformed by it that we are willing to love those around us the way you've loved us. Lord, we need to grow in this area. We acknowledge it. Forgive us for being often so self-centered. Forgive us for being often so comfortable, even in our salvation. And Lord, may your love do a wonderful miracle in us today of revelation, of realization, that in the same way the disciples' lives turn the world upside down, where it is that you place them, Lord, that our lives would become beacons of light, that they would be emblems of salt, bringing your flavor into our environments and your love through that which we are prepared to lay down for your glory. I bless you for this word today. I thank you for it. I thank you for what it will do in our hearts throughout this week. And I commit it to your Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.